All right, tonight, before you guys take off, um, if, you're gonna, if you want to do a, a small group, we're going to get those assigned for those of you who are here. Uh, a lot of people um, that aren't here Thursdays are trying to do the small group, or they're doing the small group, and they're trying to come on uh, via podcast, listen via podcast, I guess. Um, so, and there's a, uh, I'm glad to see so many of you because uh, there's some nasty stuff floating around the church right now, and um, we've got quite a few sidelined with illness, so nice to see a few healthy people. Uh, I'm going to pray, and uh, we'll get started. Father, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you that you have entrusted a kingdom to us, and we want to be found faithful um, with what you've given us. Lord, I just ask that today, as, uh, as I speak, that you would anoint um, these words, that they would last, that they would not return void, um, and that they'd bear much fruit. Lord, if, if there's uh, places where um, our minds need to be renewed, and, and some of this is uh, new material or different than what we've understood, I just ask for a grace um, for the renewing of the mind that you'd wash us, cleanse our minds, and implant your word deeply um, in our thoughts, and uh, that we might understand your ways. We love you, Lord. Amen. All right. So, uh, in, in week one, I, I mentioned um, that as we, as we live before God with the attitude of that of a servant, um, we are also sons, but... Um, we are to leverage our position for the sake of uh, affecting as much good as we can. And um, one of the things that I mentioned in the first week was that we are co-laborers with Christ. And I just said, just hang on to the thought of being a co-laborer for a while. And um, tonight we're going to get back there. So I want to actually look at work. I want to look at um, work and what we do for work. Um, and how it uh, pertains to our lives. And so I want to look at five different areas um, to hopefully gain a godly perspective on work. Um, First, I want to look at a biblical definition of work. Second, the importance of work in our lives and in God's sight. Three, different types of work. Four, a strategy for our work. And five, the workplay ratio, um, so to speak, or our thoughts on working versus playing or vacationing or leisure and, uh, and what that looks like. So um, it should be fun. Um, I hope that I can change your mind on some things, and uh, I hope even more that you don't need me to, but um, it's okay if, if we've got to think of some things differently afterward. Um, so first of all, let's, let's take a look at a biblical definition of work. First and foremost, it needs to be declared, um, work is of God. Period. Work is of God. First of all, in creation, we know that God worked. Yes? Um, that's, that's, a, that's where we usually put God's work um, activity is in creation. We know that he worked for six days and then he 
rested. And so we go, yeah, God was a working God during creation. After that, he's been on the sabbatical, um, you know, annually having a Sabbath year. Um, In fact, when God worked in creation, he worked six days and rested one, which is more than we're accustomed to in our 40-hour maximum work weeks. Um, So right away, we have an idea that God, who is a worker, tends to work more than we are accustomed to. Secondly, Jesus, who is God, um, just in case you guys just lost that bit of theology, um, Jesus in John 5.17 says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus identifies himself as a laborer, as a worker, and he says, well, in fact, my father is working until now. It's an interesting phrase where he says, my father is working until now. In other words, it's God's regular state of being that he's working. And Jesus says, and I'm just doing what my father's doing. I'm a worker because that's what my dad does. I work. Um, God is at work. He didn't just work during the creation. He is working until now. It's a a part of who he is. He's a worker. God identifies himself as a laborer, as a worker. Jesus, too. Just That's something that's worth contemplating for a while, that, that God says, I'm a worker. Jesus is coming, and he's doing all these amazing works, and he says, my father is at work until now, and I too am at work. God is a worker. The implications of that are staggering. Because I just, I'm getting totally off track, but I'm going to do it just for a second. I think if you stopped and you thought about your view of God and what he does, I don't think the first thing on your mind would be that God's at work and he's working. Typically, I think we think of God, well, he's watching, he's seated on his throne, he's accepting worship. Think about it. What do you think about when you envision God? What's God doing all day? I mean, you know, he's outside of time, so that doesn't really count. You can't say that, preacher man. What is God doing? He's at work. He's working. He's laboring. What is he doing? So if God's at work and we're made in his image and likeness, then we ought to be workers, laborers as well. A part of who we are, we should view as a laborer, a worker. So let me lay some groundwork for this uh, biblically, because I don't want you just to think that I'm just picking some verses here and there, and we're just going to weave it together and call it what he wants to. In the garden prior to the fall, God gave Adam work to do. In Genesis 1, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And he commanded them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That means you're going to have to work. God's command to Adam was be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Get married, have kids, subdue the earth. Three things he gave him to do. Get married, have kids, subdue the earth. This is kind of a side note again, but 
Interestingly, all three of these are acts of worship. Now, just real quickly, I'm just going to make a side note. If you're not married and you don't have kids, don't get hung up, hung up on the first two. Don't get hung up and go, well, you know, I'm not married and I don't have kids, so I can't do this whole thing. I talked about marriage and the call to singleness and children last year. Check out the podcast there. So don't get hung up um, on the first two here. We're focusing on the subdue it part tonight. I'd really hate for me to talk for 45 minutes and you to leave and you're still just frustrated about the get married, have kids thing. Just listen to the last year's podcast if, if that's something that you're wrestling with. Um, tonight we're going to talk about subdue it. So be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. All commanded before the fall. Work is not something to be avoided or a burdensome necessity because of the fall. It is an essential part of our God-given nature. It's commanded of us before the fall. The way we work changed because of the fall, but work was not a fruit of the fall. It's important. The effect of the curse was that our work became difficult and more challenging to produce fruit. Now, I'm going to throw out, this is, this, is, this is not a doctrinal certainty, this next statement, so don't take it that way. But it is possible that because of Jesus' kingdom being given to us, that our work may again become more enjoyable and fruitful. No guarantees, but there, there has to be some effect on our labor because the kingdom of God was introduced with Jesus. But I don't know the full effect of it. So if you hate your job, just work it out with the Lord. So that's a possibility. But anyway, don't get distracted by that. All right, so let's get back to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So what does it mean to subdue the earth? What does it mean to subdue the earth? It means that we are to align the earth's realities with the ways or the realities of the kingdom of God. That's what it means to subdue the earth. So what does it mean to subdue the earth? To align the earth's realities with the realities of the kingdom of God. Now Jesus, in Matthew 28, what we have is called the Great Commission, and he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, dot, 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 teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. You're teaching people all that Jesus has commanded you. You're teaching people what his kingdom is supposed to live like. That's subduing the earth. So the Great Commission is actually a re-emphasis of the original commission. The Great Commandment that Jesus gives in Matthew 28 is actually a restating of the original command that God gives in Genesis 1. Fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So let's phrase it another way, because all these you know, big, long, non-monosyllabic words, we're going to try to break it down again. 
To subdue the earth is to change the ways of this world to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. So now let's go back to the original command and look at it in this light. Get married, have kids, and change the ways of this world to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. That's the original command. That's what he meant when he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Get married, have kids. Change the ways of this world to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. Now, if the last part, changing the ways of this world to replicate the ways of God's kingdom, is what our work is, it starts to change how we view our work our job, significantly. But first, if you view work in this light, it establishes that work is one of the three primary, originally created pillars of our lives. This is a very important statement, so let's, let's look at it for a second. Marriage, we know is a covenant that God gives us, yeah? I mean, come on, you've probably heard of 500. If you've been in church your whole life, you've probably heard 50 sermons on marriage and the importance of marriage and husbands and the wives and the marriage and the lovey-dovey and the... Everybody's preaching on marriage because we know it's one of the primary pillars that God has given us for life, right? Yes. Children. Well, with 45 kids in children's church downstairs, you just know that that's a part of what's going on. But how often do you consider work one of the three primary pillars of your life? Not that often, I'd say. But one of the three initial commands given to us in the garden was to work, was to labor. We don't spend as much time talking about our work in light of our worship before God as we do the other two. Certainly not marriage, not even close. Maybe as often as kids, but probably not. Marriage, we know it's a big deal. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. It's a big deal. Kids, big deal. Big deal. Kids are a big deal. Work? Work today for most of us is, is we think of it this way. Just find something that you love to do and do it. Find something you're passionate about. Find something that makes you happy. So you can be happy all the time. Find a job that will allow you to make enough money to play the way you want to play. Huh? Find a job with great benefits and a good retirement package. And you guys ever hear that from your parents? Come on. So we view work as a means to an end. That end could be different for each of us. It may be I want more wealth, I want more toys, I want more vacation time, I want a better retirement. I'm going to work really, really hard through my best years of life so that I can sit around and do nothing through my last years. Is that retirement? But 
God views work as an end. It's an act of worship. It's one of the three primary commands that we received in the garden. So I would assert that we should, as in marriage and in childbearing and rearing, that we should ask God to show us what our work should be. Now, for some, you might have just given a huge sigh of relief. You're like, I thought you were going to tell me I had to do something hard. I just have to ask God. Okay, good. Because asking God sometimes simply means praying before you do whatever you want to do. But that's not really what asking God means. Asking God means, God, I'm going to wait until I hear from you before I jump into something. Because I believe that you speak, and I believe that you will speak to me. God will, in fact, tell you. He will lead you. He will show you, and he'll use a variety of methods to do so. He'll use his voice. He'll speak to you. God will actually speak to you. His voice, when I say his voice, let me, let me just take a second. It could be a dream. It could be a vision. It could be a thought that pops into your head. It could be something you feel. It could be a verse that's rolling around in your brain all week. It could be a voice like that. God speaks to all of us. If you look through the scripture, many, many different ways how he might speak to each of us. It might change from one season to the next. But God absolutely still speaks to us today, and he speaks to us personally. He also speaks through other people. That's why we have teaching and preaching. That's why we have counsel of friends, conversation, and he speaks through prayer. When you might pray with a group of people and and one of the guys sitting next to you um, starts praying some things that are either burning in your heart or they've been on your mind all week, that's unusual. That's God speaking to you through another. Circumstances. God will speak to you through circumstances if you're watching to see what he's doing. Have anyone ever had this situation? Maybe you're heading in a direction, you know, you're like, God, I'm going to start going this way. Why? That's a really good thing to do, by the way. Don't be afraid to say, God, I'm not sure if this is what you're saying. I think it is. I'm going to start going here because I trust that you're just as good at stopping me as you are at starting me. And sometimes it's easier for God to get in your way than it is to get you moving. So God will speak to you through your circumstances. Lord, I think you're leading me to buy a house. So I'm going to start going in this direction, and I'm watching, and I'm listening, and boom, 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 boom. He just shuts everything down. I'm going to retreat. I'm going to retreat. I'm going to spend some more time in prayer on this, and then I'm going to wander out again. But you can't be afraid to have God say no. I've gotten really good at having him say no to me. I, I'm an idea person. So I, tr- I, tr- I try a hundred things before I find the right thing. And as long as you're okay with God being, mm, nope, that's not where I'm going, he can lead you and direct you and speak to you through your circumstances. Other circumstances that God could speak to you through, um, you know, maybe you're praying about uh, your your future spouse and you know what you're going to do and 
at the next phase of life and suddenly, you know, some lovely gentleman introduces himself to you and, you know, wants to have a nice conversation, you should probably be attentive to the circumstances. Um, (laughs) When Mary and I first met, we were praying, you know, God, confirm this, that this is you, that you're in this, this relationship. Give us a ministry opportunity together. And this was at about 2 a.m. We had just finished a walk around Marquette, and I was dropping her off at her apartment on 3rd Street. And we were praying together at about 2 a.m., and I dropped her off, and, and then I drove all the way to Republic uh, an hour away, and um, got up the next morning, Saturday night, and I get up the next morning and drive all the way back into church. And we prayed at 2 a.m., and at like 10 a.m., uh, you remember at 2 a.m. we prayed about God give us an opportunity to minister together, to do some ministry together. And then um, like eight hours later, Mary was walking from 3rd Street, uh, her place on 3rd Street down, 3rd Street to church, in a um, full-blown, literally demon-possessed girl came barreling out of a restaurant screaming at her um, that she had worked with in the past and we spent the next hour and a half, um, driving her to her place in Ishpeming um, while I, you know, was trying to rebuke this demon, and it would manifest, and then it would stop, and she'd cry, and then it, and she'd start, like, growling like a dog, and I'd yell at it, and it, she'd start to cry, and it went on for, like, 25 minutes on the way to Ishpeming. And so, I was very discerning, and realized that God was, in fact, speaking through our circumstance. Um, I know it's brilliant, but that's how you have to be attentive. Um, so, but when you pray and you're asking, watch to see what he's doing and whether or not he's confirming or affirming what you're praying and asking. To. Circumstances. Our desires, sometimes our desires go along with what he's doing, where he's leading. Sometimes they don't. So when you're asking and you're seeking God, what am I supposed to do for work? You should look for more than one of these to confirm one another. Because we're young, yeah? We make mistakes, right? Okay, I do. You guys don't, but I do. We make mistakes. We think we hear God say something. Why? Maybe because I'm just excited about it. Maybe I'm excited about something. That doesn't mean that God's excited about it. It doesn't mean he's saying I should do it. My excitement does not mean God spoke. But sometimes we think it did. I'm praying about this, but you're so geeked about the possibility of doing it that you can't really hear what God's saying in your spirit because all you can hear is the thunder of your emotions screaming at you, Go! And so you're forced then to look outside of your own ability to hear God. There are other times where you're praying about something and you don't want to hear God tell you what you need to hear, and so you're totally shut down. God, I'm praying about this, but God, I hope you don't do it. And you can't even hear him, even if he said it. You're getting in your own way, your ability to hear God. Sometimes you can get to a point where you're totally just like, God, if you tell me, I'll do it. If you tell me not to, I won't do it. And you're able to 
submit your will and your desire to his will and his desire. And the way that he'll lead you in a direction is to create a desire in you for something. But when you're praying and you're asking God for direction and things, it's really, really valuable to look to circumstance. It's really, really valuable to look for weird ways that God would confirm something or speak to you about something. Um, let's say you're praying about, um, you know, going to another nation for, as in missions, and, and that Sunday there's a guest missionary speaking in your church. You should probably pay attention to that if you didn't know they were going to be there. Or let's, let's say you're praying about how you're going to give more uh, to God's kingdom, and you want to you start not just giving 10%, but you're thinking about upping the ante a little bit and really giving more. And there's three messages on Sunday, and they're all talking about generosity and giving. You should probably pay attention to that. Additionally, when someone walks up to you, and is, or someone comes to pray for you, or you're in your little small group, and someone just starts to pray things over you and about you that you're like, Oh my goodness, this guy doesn't even know me and he's praying the things I've been praying about all week. Pay attention and listen. If you need to, write it down so that you can't lie to yourself a year later and say, oh, God didn't really speak to me when he spoke three different times through four different people. We should treat our work with the same seriousness with which we treat our marriage and our children, and asking God, God, what do you want from me? I would also assert that, like with marriage and children, we should treat our work with the same level of intentionality. We know that our marriage is a statement about Christ's love for the church, because it's been preached on 4,000 times on Valentine's Day. We know that raising children will affect the next 10 generations. How we raise our kids will affect the next 10 generations. We know that. We should. But do we think about our work in the same regard? Come on. Do we think about the way that we go and work in our crummy entry-level job to have the same implications that marriage and children? There's no way. You can lie to me, but I don't believe you. Why? Because we haven't been trained that our work is this important to God. All right. So work is one of the three primary pillars of our lives. And work is that which we do to change the ways of this world to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. So now that we've defined it this way, let's talk about the type of work that you do. And this is what you must hear from God. All right, I'm just going to go through it and we'll get to that part in a minute. Lawyer, policeman, judge, prison guard, work. Intended change the ways of this world to replicate the ways of the kingdom of God. 
Business person, let me, let me describe this with a real one-shot broad stroke brush. If you work in a business, you're a business person. It doesn't matter if you're a teller in a bank or an owner of a business. You're a business person. If you're working in a business, you're a business person. That's how you should think of yourself. And your job is to change the ways of this world in that business to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. A teacher, a principal, same thing. Changing the ways of this world to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. These are all different types of work. President, an elected official, they should, in fact, be attempting to legislate things that change the ways of this world to replicate the ways of God's kingdom and to enforce them, as with the judicial system. TV or radio host, maybe musician, same thing. Change the ways of this world to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. Maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. Your job is to change the way of your household to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. We know a lot of stay-at-home moms. One of my coworkers, he's our, um, he's our finance director. He was a stay-at-home dad. The guy's amazing. He's, he's one of the most amazing parents I've ever met. Um, and I'll tell you, the more I get to know him and talk to him, the more I realize this guy nailed it with his kids in regard to establishing the ways of God's kingdom and replicating them on the earth. It's, it's amazing the structures that he has in place for his teenage kids. Um, I'm just privileged to, uh, to get to watch that and get to learn from him. Here's another type of work. Pastor. The role of a pastor is to change the ways of the church to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. Unfortunately, often there's a lot of change needed to get there. Pastor, like a lawyer, a politician, a teacher, a president, a radio host, and a stay-at-home parent, a pastor is a type of work. It's not a different type of work. It's a type of work. And each of these are intended, though different and in different manners, to change the ways of this world to replicate the ways of the kingdom of God. Each of these carry the same degree of importance. So let's just stop for a second and look at ministry. Because I just, I just did a no-no. I just threw pastor in with prison guard, kindergarten teacher, and stay-at-home mom, and I said that a pastor's role, though different, is equally important to these other roles, and they're all supposed to be Changing the ways of this world to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. And they just have different ways of doing it. In different types of positions. So we need to look at what is ministry as a pastor. And there are two ways to define ministry biblically. One is what you do through the church. That's often how we view ministry. A pastor is in full-time ministry. But there's a second way to define ministry, and that is that which you do unto the Lord. Which would encompass every single type of work which we just mentioned. Because all of these types of work, we work as though working for the Lord, 
And the purpose of this work is to change the ways of this world to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. But if we go back to the normal definition of ministry and we say ministry is being a pastor in that which you do in the church, then ministry is simply one type of work that's equally important to all of the other types of work that we just talked about. So here's what happens when you're when we when we when we're, we get real zealous about God, you know, and we're we're on fire and we're burning and we're young and we're trying to define our lives and what are we supposed to do? And we feel this call to ministry. We feel this call to affect people for God, and we go, well, that must mean that I need to find a church to pastor, and that's a mistake. Some are called there, but not all. Your desire to affect people for God is simply your desire to do work. That's what work is. And lastly, let me say about the different types of work, because there's a lot of struggle that we face when we're trying to figure this out. Um, I was 30 when I started to figure out one direction. Um, It's probably not going to be the last direction. So let me say this about types of work. Type of work that you do is not as important as the way you do it. And it's not as important as the way that you view and approach the work that you do. In other words, your strategy is more important than your title. What do I mean? I mean that you will have jobs that are not your last job. And you will have jobs that aren't the fullness of your calling for work. Right? Let's face it, because... Most of you guys are in college, so maybe you have a a 12-hour-a-week part-time job where you're flipping burgers. Cool. That's not your last job. You might be going to school to be an accountant, but right now you're a burger flipper. So your title of burger flipper or accountant isn't nearly as important as the, the fact that you must treat your work as you changing the world to replicate the ways of the kingdom of God. How you view your work is more important than the title you wear at work. Because what that establishes is that God can trust you in any and every position. He can trust you when you're on your own flipping burgers for a 12-hour shift. He can trust you on your own when you're in a boardroom Uh, or in your office, in your corner office by yourself overlooking Lake Superior. He can trust you in front of a room full of 200 people at a conference. He can trust you to have a desire that wants to change the ways of the world, to replicate the ways of the kingdom, and it doesn't matter what title you wear. So it's more important that how you view your work, how you view your work is more important than the title you wear while you're at work. So while you're praying and going, God, show me what you want me to do. Show me how to work. The reality is you may carry a job for five, ten years before you land in the one that he cut you out for. And while you're in that five to ten year period, you should be 
treating your work as your opportunity to change the ways of this world to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. Strategy. So now some questions come up. All right. Okay, so now, okay, I got the marriage thing, that's worship. The kids thing, that's worship. Work is worship. And your work at Burger King is just as important as the pastor's work when he goes up and speaks on Sunday morning. Man, that's hard for me to swallow. Man, you're a... You work in a business. Your whole job's trying to make money. How is that as important as the guy preaching Sunday morning? You're a maintenance man. You plunge toilets all day. How is that as important as the guy who's got to teach on Sunday? It's a type. God knows where each of us should fit, where we can bear fruit. Come on, think about it. Let's just get real extreme for a second. If everybody in the room turned out to be a pastor, and everybody who was a Christian turned out to be a pastor, you have disaster on your hands. Seriously. God is strategic. And he intends to position people in every strata of society so that his name would be proclaimed in every corner of the earth not just in church buildings. That's where we've gotten lost when we forget that a pastor is just one type of work, like lawyer, policeman, carpenter. A pastor is the same kind of work. We've turned the pastor into a celebrity. I'm really glad that we honor our pastors like we should finally. But we need to start honoring the maintenance guys like we should. We need to start honoring the librarian like we should, and the teacher like we should, and the plumber like we should. Because his work is just as valuable to God for growing the kingdom as is the pastor's. And no one would agree with me more than our pastors, our pastor in shock. Because it was our pastor that when I came in here and I said, I have a call to ministry, he said, cool, <laughs> go get a job. Oh. So our definitions weren't the same. His was right, mine was wrong. So when you walk in the door to start your shift at work, if that's from the front of a church, or if it's going to be plunging toilets, or... Clacking, clacking on a keyboard, or flipping burgers, or teaching children, or beating children if you're a stay-at-home mom. Sorry, that's not funny if you watched ESPN this week. <laughs> when you start your day of work, do you start prayerfully looking for things in your day that are not in line with God's ways, which you can fix. Start, start with you first. Get to work on time. You know, get, get to work and be put together. You know, 
look like you want to be there. Even if you have to pretend for a while, God can change your heart. But at least present yourself like you want to be there. Because you will want to be in God's kingdom. So want to be there. Pretend like you like the people around you. Because you probably have to pretend at first. But if you do it because you should long enough, a lot of times God will change your heart. Particularly if you pray for them. Guys, it's so practical and so simple that it's nearly impossible. Because we want these big dramatic moments. Sure, if you see a sick person, pray for them that they would be well. Yes. Sure, if there's someone who doesn't know Jesus and wants to talk to you about it. Yes, talk to them about it. But the reality is, putting the kingdom into real life, this world, action is so practical that we usually walk right by it and don't do it. It's a really stupid cliche, but it's so true that common sense isn't all that common anymore. And the people that I, I, I notice as extraordinary in their work, they just do the common sense things well, day in and day out, for more than a week. We should approach our work looking for things in our day that are not in line with God's ways and attempt to repair it. I understand that each of you has a a sphere of authority which you cannot step beyond, but that which is under your authority, structure it in a manner that is in line with God's kingdom. When you prepare for work, are you prayerfully preparing for work, for opportunities to right wrongs, speak truth, declare and demonstrate love? Again, it's so simple. Um, in, the, in the workplace, it's so simple. It's so void of the presence of God in the workplace. Because everybody's terrified to talk about Jesus, first of all. And, but people are so unfamiliar with the ways of the kingdom that the most ordinary acts seem unusual and amazing to people. Kindness, love, stuff that you would do in here on a Sunday, normally when you see a friend, if you start doing it to a coworker, they're going to think you are from another world. That's the point. That was the Nobody got it. Seriously, it's so simple, but it's not carried out outside of church settings. And when I say church settings, that could be in your home with church people. Or that could be in a restaurant with church people. Or in a church with church people. Or in a coffee shop with church people. It's meant to be done around everyone. Our work is us aligning, changing the realities of this world to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. And our work is where we do it. Our work is our opportunity to bring the realities of God's kingdom to the world. 
Now, I'll admit it, it does require a great deal of courage, humility. Um, courage because you've got to convince yourself to do the thing you're most terrified to do. Because especially at first, it's really, really terrifying to say something or do something or pray for someone. You're scared because you've been convinced. Christians, we've been backed into this corner that the only place we can really exercise our faith fully is in these walls. And they're even trying to legislate that now. But we've bought into it culturally. Where if you pray before a meal in a restaurant, you can feel the eyeballs burning in the back of your skull. Oh dear God, make it quick. Or maybe you've learned to pray without praying. You know, where you just keep your eyes up. And I'm really spiritual. I don't close my eyes when I pray, especially when I'm in a restaurant. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for the potatoes. I prayed. Nobody noticed. Because you can feel it. Why? Because we bought into it, and there's a tremendous amount of pressure to keep Christians in a church where they can't do any harm. So it does, particularly at the outset. It requires tremendous courage. It also requires courage because there will be confrontation. If you're righting wrongs, that means the wrong needs to be confronted. But on the other side of the confrontation is the establishment of that which is right and true. And that's what we look to. So don't freak out when you look at a confrontation. You have to look past it and know that, okay, I may have to fire this person. But on the other side is the opportunity to establish something that is good and it's godly and it's right and it's true. It requires courage because there will be bold acts of faith. That might be something as simple as telling someone how much you value them as a coworker. It may be something so dramatic as praying for their broken arm, which is now where you have to include humility as one of the necessary traits because there's always the off chance that they might not get better. And you've got to be able to say, you know what, I still hold true to the goodness of God. And I'm going to continue to pray until that thing is well. It requires a willingness to stand up for what is right. You know, sometimes it's really lonely. In some settings, some settings it's great because there's more voices that agree with you. In other settings, not so much. And you may be the only voice who is standing up for what's right. Pray for strength, pray for numbers. But it requires a willingness to stand up for what's right. Not based on this condition, okay God, I'll say this if you promise me I'm going to win the battle. But because if it's right and it's his, it's worthy to be stood up for. Sometimes you have to stand up for what's right just because it's right. Let the chips fall where they may. And that takes courage. But every day you have the opportunity to demonstrate to people 
what heaven is like and what earth is supposed to look like. I've prayed for people that didn't get well, and then they and I'd ask them about it. Hey, is your you know is your leg better? No, it's not. I prayed. I remember praying for a guy's knee about three times, and he he was in there. He was in every week. I'd see him, and I prayed for his knee about three times, and I'd ask him every time, "How's your knee, man? How's your how's your knee? How's your knee? How's your knee?" Uh, no different, no different, no different. And finally, I just said, you know, the reason I keep asking is because you're not supposed to be injured. If earth looked like it was supposed to, you wouldn't be injured. Oh, that's weird. Okay. Um, but that's, that's the reality. That's why we pray. And we get the opportunity, at least if they don't get better, we can tell them this is how it's supposed to be. This is how it'll look when Jesus comes back. Maybe it gives them something to look forward to. We have the opportunity every day to demonstrate what heaven is like and what earth is supposed to look like. If you remember back to when we went through the list of different types of work, most of the positions that I mentioned will place you around people that have not yet met God and have no idea what life is supposed to look like. You're the opportunity to show them, to tell them. You get to show them, you get to tell them what God is like. And hopefully, if you get the opportunity, you get to introduce them to him. We're not going to have time to get to the workplace dynamic. Um, I'm going to close with a story quick, and then uh, we'll get you guys um, into some groups that need them. Um, so my, uh, my dad, is um, he has uh, done this for years and years and years, um, day in and day out, talked to people about the Lord, um, at work, used his workplace as his opportunity to hopefully draw some um, to God. He's um, constantly in arguments about with people because um, he's he's willing to say, "No, that's not the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to be." And and as you know, people don't usually respond favorably to that. Um, he he was fired from one job for praying for the sick. Um, and actually, that was what they fired him for, was expressing his faith. Um, that, was a, um, that was supposed to be a, a Christian hospital, um, so that was funny. But lost his job for a while, went without work because of this, was willing to do this day in and day out. So a couple of weeks ago, he works with this young kid, and this kid's a little bit out there, and he's into aliens. Um, he's very, you know, conspiratorial in his thinking. He's telling my dad all about aliens and, you know, other worlds out there. And my dad just goes, well, there's another world. Um, it's not filled with aliens. It's, it's God's world. And in fact, you know, I'm, I'm from, I'm a part of God's world. And he, he just starts talking to the kid. And you can't really freak out a person who's, like, into aliens. You can't outweird that, you know. So the kid's like, okay, uh, you know, Ooh, Timbo. Um, you know, and so um, my dad's just kind of pressing him. They work eight hours. It's just two people. They sit together in a room, you know, and so he's just, they are talked about it all day throughout the course of the day. The next month when the guy came in on his rotation, 
Um, my dad starts off the day on the right foot and just pops him right away. He goes, hey, you know that your life would be a whole lot different if you just give up and just let Jesus, you know, have his way with you and, you know, just say that, okay, I'm yours. And the kid goes, that's really weird that you say that. Two nights ago, I was sitting out under the stars, I don't know, just looking to see if I could see anything. And probably looking for aliens, you know. Um, and he said, I just, I just prayed. I said, okay, Jesus, whatever you want, you know, you can have me. And my dad was like, holy moly, you know, like, really? Yeah. And the kid, yeah, yeah, so I don't know, I don't know what that means. And my dad, well, let me, let me pray with you, you know. Um, and he, he didn't end up praying with them until at the end of the day, and so he prays for him right at the end of the day. And, and they leave, and about an hour later, my dad gets a text from the kid, and he says, um, hey, uh, is it normal when somebody gets prayed for? Uh, my body has been, like, on fire for the last hour. My leg is tingling. I have, like, cold running up and down my spine. Is that normal? And uh, my dad you know, kind of just said, yes, yes, it's normal. Um, okay, I just wanted to make sure I didn't need to go to the hospital. Um, no, you're fine. Um, but it's, it's thrilling when you see fruit. Um, it's, uh, sometimes you need to go through trial to get there. But um, in the last six months, I think he's had three out of four co-workers um, come to the Lord. And, uh, and the other one is trying to get him fired, so you know you're doing something right there. But um, this is what it's supposed to look like for us. Some will experience co-workers receiving salvation. Others will experience transformation of your school um, or your, your, just your little part of what you do in your office. Um, but the reality is our role as work in work is one of the three primary things that God commanded us to do in the garden, along with marriage, kids, and work. And work is us doing everything we can to change the ways of the world, to replicate the ways of God's kingdom. Pray and ask God, God, what is my type of work to be? But whatever you set me to, this is how I'm going to do it. Amen? Yeah. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have given us the privilege of working. Thank you that we will work with you forever and eternity. Lord, that there will be work going on in heaven. Lord, I ask that you start to give us a vision of how our work fits in with what you are doing in the earth. That we are builders of the wall along with Nehemiah. And the whole wall will come together. So, Lord, give us a vision that what we're doing is important and it's valuable and it's precious to you. We love you. Amen. Amen.